From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Music can be a mighty force that brings people together, but it can also be weaponized. This week, we'll share our favorite diss tracks, songs that settle a score. Plus, the rock doctors are back to help a mom find good music for her son. I realized I was going to have to expand my musical horizons to bring him up in a household that showed him that he could be a whole bunch of different things, that he didn't have to just be a toxic dude. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And this week, we're going to assist a listener who's looking for some musical help. We're going to talk to a mom who's got some uh, issues with toxic masculinity, as she says. She's trying to empower her young son who wants to avoid that syndrome. But still listen to good music. That's coming up later in the show. First, a topic rife with toxic attitudes, diss tracks. Stan, Stan, son, listen, man, dad isn't mad, but how you gonna name yourself after a mad gun and have a man bun? So, Greg, this week we thought we would play our favorite diss tracks, not only in hip-hop, which is a, an art form that's rife with them. We have Machine Gun Kelly and Eminem feuding right now. Of course, we had Pusha T and Drake. It's been there from the beginning, and it goes back to trading the dozens, right? I'm going to insult you. Schoolyard taunts. Your mother's so big yeah. when she sits around the house, right? All that nonsense. Exactly, and hip-hop uh, ran with it. Uh, they took that... Uh, uh, tradition from the schoolyards into into music and and and, and the trading of insults uh, was a core element in how an MC would get discovered in the early days. You know, you would have these battle raps between MCs, and the guy who got in the best disses yeah. was often anointed the winner and was the guy with the career in his in his future. So this idea of disrespecting someone, uh, ideally with humor, I think that's how it works best, uh, is not confined to hip-hop. We're going to go right back to the beginning, in fact. I think this is one of popular music's first and most famous diss tracks. 1962, Joe Tex gets into it with James Brown. Joe Tex was uh, an R&B singer, a really good one, who was, not surprisingly, uh, born and raised in Texas. His real name was Joseph Arrington. And he and James Brown got mm. into it, and it lasted for years. Uh, they were both on the same label, Detroit's Anna Records, for a period in the mid-50s. Apparently, Brown recorded a tune that Tex had first popularized. Brown had more success with it, changed it around some. Then Brown said, if you got a problem with that, I challenge you to a duel, you know, a <laughs> musical duel. And then uh, Joe Tex divorced uh, his first wife, who wound up with James Brown. And Brown, rather <laughs> cheekily, sends Tex a letter and says, uh, when the relationships ended, when the musical collaboration with that woman ended, uh, you can have her back now. <laughs> so Joe Tex <laughs> writes a song in 1962 called You Keeper. <laughs> And he had, he calls Brown out by name. And, you know, mm. Brown's an intimidating figure, right? James, I got your letter. Came to me today. You said I could have my baby back, but I don't want her that way. You keep her, <laughs> right? 
it, this went on for years afterwards. There were other tracks in this uh, musical Dis Feud. Mm. Uh, Joe Tex would come out on stage on occasion in a ratty old cape and roll a la- around on the floor as if he was having a seizure because, of course, that was, you know, the cape was part of Brown's right. shtick, right? But, you know, who's remembered in posterity? I really, you know, obviously James Brown is a, is a legend, you know, uh, the godfather of soul. Joe even had a problem with that nickname, said, you ain't the godfather of soul. Oh, anyway, Joe Tex is remembered for this song. There were other accomplishments in his life. But here it is, you keeper, Joe Tex on Sound Opinions. James, I got your letter. It came to me today. You said I could have my baby back, but I don't want her that way. So you keep her, you keep her, because man, she belongs to you. She didn't make up her own mind to come on home to me. So I found me someone else, and we're happy as can be. So you keep her, you keep her, because now she belongs to you. But you can tell I said hello, James, and remember to always be a lady. Cause you see, when she was with me, James, I taught her that a lady stays in a lady's place. And I was the one who taught her. Ask her, didn't I teach her how to make up her face? I taught her how to pick the clothes And the jewelry to wear And I was the one who taught her How to style her hair My, 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 she left me After I taught her these things now she didn't That is you keep her, Joe Tags, man, he- doesn't want his wife back. And he says later in the song, you know, I found happiness with somebody else. It's okay. I so. appreciate uh, guys who name names when they when yeah. they dish out their insults, you James. know? James. That was the first <laughs> word of the song. James, I'm Not talking to you. Not only is this between you and me, brother, but the yeah. whole world is going to hear about it now. There you go. And uh, I got a hit out of it as well. You know, I, I want to go to an artist who uh, basically made a career out of dissing people in, in music. But very, as you said, humor is a big part of this. And the humor in, in Mojo Nixon's uh, music has always been a key element. The psychobilly artist, uh, Mojo Nixon, he was with uh, uh, an ar- another artist named Skid Roper in a duo in the 80s. And they, the reason I even knew about them is because they would always come up with a song that was dissing somebody that was popular on the charts. There was a song about Debbie Gibson and Rick yeah, Astley yeah. and MTV VJ Martha Quinn. He has his solo debut, Mojo Nixon. Uh, he, he got rid of Skid. Him and Skid had pie out of the parting of the ways. Just Mojo <laughs> Nixon for this 1990 album, Otis. I think this is the apex of his career of diss tracks. Uh, I think we can all agree. I think before Big Lebowski got to it, before, uh, before the dude proclaimed the Eagles uh, mm-hmm. a pox upon humanity, I think a lot of us were in the same pocket. Uh, and Mojo uh, understood that vibe. In 1990, he had a song that said simply, Don Henley must die. Uh, and a lot of us were kind of nodding, you know, 
He's got a point. Well, and, and not, <laughs> not to just seem gratuitous. The Eagles broke the $100 ticket yeah. mark. Then they broke the $200 ticket mark. You know, eventually they broke, like, the $500 concert ticket. Well, in addition to, uh, to making music, I mean, obviously they had a ton of hits, and I'm probably insulting a ton of people by just saying that, you know, the Eagles didn't exactly have a huge cachet in, in uh, sort of the indie uh, scene and and, uh, and the whole idea that uh, they were kind of smug about it too. Uh, yeah. It did not uh, enamor them to to people like Mojo Nixon. Uh, the lines in the song don't don't let them get back together. This is the whole idea about the Eagles. Were now uh, there was a parting of the ways. Don't let them get back together with Glenn Fry. Don Henley must die. Yes, and then <laughs> at the end of the song, you know, he gets in a shot at Sting too, and everybody's going, "Yes, thank yeah, you, yeah, yeah, thank same, you for that." That's like the club. trifecta. You same got Don club. Henley. Glenn Fry and Sting all getting dissed in the same song. Mojo Nixon with Don Henley Must Die from 1990 on Sound Opinions. That is Mojo Nixon with Don Henley Must Die. And to prove that Don Henley, well, maybe he doesn't need to die after all. He can take a joke. He actually got on stage with Mojo Nixon and helped him sing that song in, like, 1992 in Texas. I'm not sure if that uh, comes close to redeeming him for his many sins, but, but, but all right, makes me think a little bit better. Leonard Skinner. All right, Sweet Home Alabama. I think, you know, there's no way to talk about diss songs and not talk about this. One of the most famous of all time. Skinner's second album, 1974. I think it's also probably the most misunderstood diss track of all time. Neil Young had written two songs that got under the skin of uh, Ronnie Van Zandt. One is lesser known, Alabama. It's not one of Neil Young's best, and he's kind of disowned that song. The other is Southern Man, which is a great song. You know, decrying Southern racism, Southern violence. Southern Man better keep your But even Neil later admitted, I might have done it with too broad a brush. Mm. Let's not forget, you know, the South also gave us Faulkner and so many great traditions, right? 
So Southern Man comes out. It's, it's painting this broad attack on uh, a certain mentality, which is still with us. And Leonard Skinner fires back. I heard Mr. Young sing about her, talking about Dixie. Uh, I heard old Neil put her down. Well, I hope Neil Young will remember a Southern Man don't need him around anyhow. Now, uh, what Van Zant tried to make clear in many interviews is that he didn't want everybody to put the South in one basket. The second verse, uh, which this is a politician uh, that's more controversial, you know, he sings, uh, in Birmingham, they love the governor. Mm. And he's talking about George Wallace, the segregationist. What everyone, many people, have missed is he sings in Birmingham, they love the governor, and that wonderful Skinnerd trio of backing vocalists Mm. go, boo, 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 Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's a sarcastic line. And Van Zandt goes on to say, you know, we did what we could do, meaning we tried to be allies Mm -hmm. to the civil rights movement. Watergate doesn't bother me. Does your conscience bother you? What's he saying there? He's talking to the North. He's saying, we've all made mistakes. All of us have not been maybe activist enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, just don't put the South down uh, for some individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a great song. Um, Skinner would sometimes perform in Neil Young t-shirts circa Two Nights the Night to make the message a little clearer. And somehow that all gets uh, reduced to wave your Confederate flag, drive your pickup truck with the shotgun on the back. All right, one of Rock's greatest songs above and beyond the dissing, Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. Seventy-four, Sweet Home Alabama. We don't have enough Skinner on this show. I think Skinner's a great band. One what a, of the most what underrated bands of all time. Fantastic band. Greg, you got another diss? Yes, I do, Jim. We had mentioned uh, hip hop at the top of the segment as being the uh, the apex of this uh, dissing movement. I mean, and and with good reason. I mean, when you talk about some of the early hip hop records, uh, Roxanne Shanty mm. uh, versus UTFO and the Real Roxanne, you know those. You know, 20, 30 records where they were trading riffs and disses and insults. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, amazing amount of money was made at the same time uh, with for really clever insult records going back and forth. Well, and I think we can't, uh, we shouldn't romanticize or play light the yeah. hip-hop feud. Because, of course, Tupac and Biggie, I mean, nothing but tragedy came well, exactly. out Well, exactly. In the 90s, it got completely out of hand with, with Tupac and Biggie, absolutely. Uh, and in uh, more recent incarnations, we've seen Jay-Z and Nas go at it, and Nas and Drake go at it, and it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's an ongoing tradition. Kanye and the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, uh, at the, you know, when, when New York City hip-hop 
was really the center of the hip-hop world. Uh, two of the greatest MCs from that era went at it toe-to-toe for a, de- for a feud, a verbal feud that went on for a decade. Um, so Kumo D really had a thing for LL Cool J about him. LL was ripping him off, and he was going to get back at him, and lo and behold, he did. He put out a record called How You Like Me Now in 1987, which was one of his best-selling records. Uh, a number of the songs on that record, naming LL uh, directly, calling him out, saying you ripped me off. How you think I feel to see another MC get paid? Using my rap style, and I'm playing the background. Meanwhile, I ain't with that. You can't forget that. You took my style. I'm taking it back, coming back, like Return of the Jedi. Sucker MCs in the place that said I could only rock rhyme and only rock crowds, but never rock records. How you like me now? On the cover, uh, there's Cool Modi posing with a Jeep uh, directly behind him with its front tire on a, on a red Kangol hat, much like the ones that LL used to wear back in the day. So uh, the message was pretty direct and pretty pointed. LL responds with a song called Jack the Ripper, uh, produced by Rick Rubin, who was uh, producing a lot of his records at the time, and uh, he did not mince words. In fact, uh, this was the start of a uh, decade-long series of records in which LL went after Cool Modi. So he did not forgive or forget uh, over that period of time. But it all started with uh, Jack the Ripper. And he basically names that record, How You Like Me Now, I'm Getting Busier, I'm Double Platinum, I'm Watching You Get Dizzier. You know, he's calling him out and saying, I got you, I'm selling way more records than, than you are. You didn't. Ri- I. You ripped me off. I didn't rip you off. And on and on it went. The verbal shots uh, really started in earnest with this record. LL Cool J with Jack the Ripper on Sound Opinions from J with Jack the Ripper on Sound Opinions, and now we want to get you in this conversation. Call and leave a message on our hotline with your favorite diss track, 888-859-1800. When we come back, more of our favorite songs that hold a grudge, and later we're going to provide a personalized playlist prescription for a listener in need. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Sucker MC, 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He's Greg Cott. I would never disrespect him. We're sharing some of our favorite diss tracks this week. What does that mean? Uh, songs that are evidence of an ongoing, long-lasting feud between musicians who are uh, uh, trading insults in song. As we said in the last segment, Greg, hip-hop has been rife uh, with diss tracks uh, from the beginning. Uh, you know, in recent uh, months, we've, we've seen Machine Gun Kelly go back at it with Eminem back and forth, right? Uh, but I think what's interesting about the one I'm going to highlight is how long it's been going on. Nicki Minaj makes her debut in uh, circa 2010, and she's got her promo photo that little Kim dislikes because Nicki Minaj is trying to look like little Kim. Mm-hmm. And that starts what, by my account, is I think it's six or seven Nicki Minaj dissing Little Kim tracks mm-hmm. in the years to come. And then Little Kim doing a whole concept mixtape mm-hmm. dissing Nicki Minaj. And they're still going at it today in 2018. Uh, the track that kind of starts it off after Nicki's uh, angry that Kim uh, is mad about this picture is a song called Roman's Revenge. And Nicki Minaj has an alter ego, Roman Zelansky, and she recruits as a partner on this diss track a master of the form who also has an alter ego. Eminem raps as Slim Shady. And it all starts with what I think is a Kraftwerk ripoff. Swizz Beats produced this, and this was really one of the productions that put him on the map. And to me, that sounds like the Moogs that introduced Showroom Dummy. Although he said he was going for like an old-timey video game sound. Anyway, this this track is insane. Um, Even, you know, our editors are going to have to edit a bit where uh, Nikki is directly taking on little Kim. Uh, you know, she's mad because you took the spot. You know, Kim is saying Nicki Minaj ripped off her shtick. Uh, anyway, here we go. Roman's Revenge by Nicki Minaj on Sound Opinions. I am not Jasmine, I am Aladdin. So far ahead, these bumps is lagging. See me in that new thing, bumps is gagging. I'm starting to feel like a dungeon dragon. Raw, raw, like a dungeon dragon. I'm starting to feel like a dungeon dragon. Look at my show footage, how these girls be spazzing. So fuck, I look like getting back to a has-been. Yeah, I said it has been. Hang it up, flat screen. <laughs> Plasma, hey nigga, hey nigga, asthma. I got the pumps, it ain't got medicine. I got bars, sentencing. I'm a bad bitch, I'm a cop, and I'll kick that hoe. Punt, force trauma, blunt. You play the back, bitch, I'm in the front. You need a job, this ain't cutting it. Nicki Minaj is who you ain't fooling with. You little brag about beat you with a paddle lock. I am a movie. Camera block, you out of work. I know it's tough, but enough is enough. Like a dungeon dragon, like a dungeon dragon, like a dungeon dragon, like a dungeon dragon. Roman's Revenge, Nicki Minaj talking through one of several alter egos she's had through the years. Now she is is in the same, she's in the little Kim role now uh, with uh, Cardi B taking her on. I mean, this this, this feuding, it, it, it's like the Hatfield-McCoys. It supposedly <laughs> lasted for centuries, right? That's what these disses sometimes go on for. 
Jim, next I want to go to uh, La Tigre, a uh, band that was formed by Kathleen Hanna in the late 90s after uh, Bikini Kill uh, broke up. Um, so this is a, a genesis of a punk rock feud that began between her and a guy by the name of Fat Mike, who was leading this punk rock band, No FX, yep. uh, in, in the 90s. So Fat Mike has written a number of songs that could charitably be called misogynist. Kathleen Hanna, backstage at a show, once called out Fat Mike for, for being a misogynist pig, basically saying, you're writing all these songs, putting down women. I'm a feminist. I can't get down with being on the same bill as you are. He got ticked off, wrote a song about Hannah uh, called Kill Rockstar. Can't Change the World by Hating Men. Kind of missing the point completely uh, about his uh, aesthetic. Kathleen Hanna comes back in 99 on the La Tigre debut album, and the first song, Decepticon, is basically a screed against Fat Mike. Nicely disguised by the fact it's danceable as heck. You don't even have to listen to the words to enjoy it. But man, she gets in some shots. Uh, You're just a parrot, and you're screaming, and you're shouting. You, you brought a new van the first year of your band. This is the ultimate indie rock disc, right? Your band, your band is so on punk rock, you brought a brand new van. I mean, you did brand not buy new. the 200,000 miles yeah. van in the, in the lot. With the VCR for the kids. Exactly. And then she names a, a, a no effects song, just to make sure the message is very clear. Uh, no effects song called Linoleum. Your lyrics are dumb like a linoleum floor. I'll walk on it. I'll walk all over you. Kathleen Hanna of La Tigre giving it right back the fat mic of no effects. Uh, here's the song, the Tigre Decepticon on Sound Opinions. Is La Tigre Decepticon on Sound Opinions? Jim, what is your next diss track? I'm going to the alternative era, Greg. Uh, 1994. Pavement put out Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. And uh, the single that gets some uh, radio play in the heyday of modern rock radio uh, is called Range Life. Yeah. Now, it's never easy to say what Stephen Malcolmus is talking about. He's got that pinch-on approach to uh, postmodern cut-and-paste lyric writing. But these words jumped out. Out on tour with the Smashing Pumpkins, nature kids, they don't have no function, I don't understand what they mean, and I could really give a blank. 
<laughs> oh, boy, that gets him in trouble. Now, now I happen to agree with him. You know, I mean, Billy Corgan, all those I'm just a rat in a cage, you know, blah, blah, blah. His lyrics were the worst. <laughs> but I don't know about the nature kid thing. I mean, because I would never call the pumpkins hippies. You know, they were John Hughes suburban kids yeah. who held a grudge about everybody who was cooler than them, who was everybody, especially Billy is what I'm talking about. He's, you know, he also takes a shot at the Stone Temple Pilots, the elegant bachelors. They're foxy to me or they foxy to you. Basically saying like these alternative posers could yeah. well be poison. Kids, we have to put this in context. You know, there, there was the period in 94 when suddenly this underground music that was for 75 people mm-hmm. in a rotten, dingy club is going to 100,000 people uh, at festivals and getting radio play and owning MTV. And there were those who held on to the values of that underground. There were those who were conflicted, like Nirvana. And there were those who were eager to sell out. I mean, from the I covered the pumpkins from the beginning. So did you. To me, there was no difference difference between them and Journey or Kansas. You know, they wanted to be rock stars in the worst way. Anyway, they were vindictive. Billy Corgan ordered pavement kicked off the Lollapalooza bill in 1994. Pumpkins were headlining. Uh, pavement gets the boot. They had that kind of clout mm. at that time. Um, you know, I, I actually wish he'd been a little harsher on the pumpkins because Billy deserved it. But here's Range Life by Pavement from 1994. Out on tour with us smashing pumpkins, nature kids. I, they don't have no function, I don't understand what they mean. I could really give up. Uh, Stone Temple pilots, they're elegant bachelors. Foxy to me, are they foxy to you? I will agree, it deserves absolutely nothing. Range Life by Pavement. After Cut Your Hair, which was the hit from Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, it's their second most popular song on Spotify. Take that, Billy Corgan. Doesn't doesn't hurt to uh, diss a major band to get attention for your band, you know? So. If they're deserving, like Don Henley. You tell me there's a difference between Don Henley and Billy Corgan. Well, if you don't know the difference, then I can't help you, buddy. Still sucking up to him, huh? All these years later. Uh, better band, that's all I can say. Uh, I can listen to a lot of Pumpkins music. Marginally. You got one more. I do. David Bowie, uh, a man who does not uh, take uh, imitators kindly, which is kind of ironic because uh, David has uh, imitated a few artists in his life. Yeah, ripped off many. But he was upset uh, when Gary Newman started uh, clicking out top 20 singles in the U.K. in 1979 and 80. And you do have to say that David did have a point about Gary Newman. He kind of took a lot of what Bowie was doing, the sort of, you know, robotic, you know, uh, futuristic viewpoint towards music and technology and image. Uh, yeah, that's that looked awfully familiar. Here in my car, I feel safest of all. I can 
Yeah, but Bowie had stolen it all from Kraftwerk. Well, and there was, absolutely, he was borrowing stuff all over the place. So it was somewhat disingenuous of David. Nonetheless, he got a pretty good song out of it, Wildlife, from his uh, Scary Monsters Super Creeps album of 1980. Um, some of the lines he gets off about Newman, who's kind of, he, he paints as this kind of bright, young, Bowie-like newcomer, you know. Here's the new waver coming along uh, for his uh, two years of fame. Uh, a broken-nosed mogul are you, one of the new wave boys, same old thing in brand-new drag. Come sweeping into view, as ugly as a teenage millionaire, <laughs> pretending it's a whiz kid world. Yeah, uh, okay. He didn't name Newman... Uh, directly, but everybody knew who he was talking about. This is David Bowie, Wildlife on Sound Opinions. with wildlife on sound opinions before we leave this tracks we want to hear from you call and leave a message on our hotline 888-859-1800 with your favorite diss track or better yet write one about us hey <laughs> yeah coming up after the break a musical prescription for a mom looking to avoid toxic messages for her son that's after the break from wbez chicago and prx Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And from time to time, we help out listeners with specific musical needs. We call it the Rock Doctors. We got a new patient today, Greg. Rebecca, a mom from Wheaton, Illinois. Rebecca, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi. All right, so tell us why you posed this question for the Rock Doctor. Give us the context and what your question was. Sure. I have three children. I have two older daughters and... Uh, when we realized we would be having someone who presented as male as our third child, um, I realized I was going to have to expand my musical horizons to bring him up in a household that showed him that he could be a whole bunch of different things, that he didn't have to just be a toxic dude. <laughs> um, but as I looked around, wow. I couldn't find anything. We got your prescription form here, your your medical history, musically speaking. You know, you, you listen to a lot of stuff. You've got a wide range of tastes. You were finding nothing that, that was avoiding toxic masculinity. You got it. And vice versa, you were saying that for your daughters, you had no trouble finding music that uh, spoke to female empowerment. 
Oh, not at all. We had a lot of fun with that. I think the one of the favorite and unexpected ones was Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots by the Flaming Lips. The name is Yoshimi. She's a black belt in karate. Because it's such a good story, it actually resonated as well. It was just a story of a hero and how she went about it. I mean, certainly Lemony dropped when my kids were little. We've introduced that into the rotation. Yeah, Beyonce's, uh, that was a huge record. So the girls are how old, the two girls? My oldest is almost seven, and my middle daughter is five. All right, and how old is your son? He is three and a half. Three and a half. Okay, so just coming into consciousness age of like, you know, he's going to remember TV characters, he's going to remember songs. But you want to give him some songs that are going to express his male temperament in a non-bro way. Exactly. And there's plenty of, like, sensitive guy romance music out there, but there's not a whole lot of sort of anthems. Right. What is your definition of an anthem? Well, it's kind of a credo, right? It's an I believe, it's a here I am, it's a mm-hmm. this is how I feel, it's a declaration. Like like We're the Kids in America by Kim Wilde. Yes. Something like that and not James Taylor. <laughs> you got a friend. But not also Jay-Z's 444, right? Like, yeah. I apologize. Clearly we get that he's sorry, but we don't get any sense of like, mm. here I am, I'm ready to get it done in a positive way that also has a good beat and you can dance to it. Right. It's a complicated criteria. It's a fine needle to thread. Let me let me ask one more question about your, you know, you clearly are a person uh, who is politically thinking and woke, as the kids say. What is the problem as you see it with toxic masculinity in popular music? Well, the answer is always the patriarchy. Let's start there. Um, the problem is that it's limiting to men, too, to insist that one gender is one way, one gender is the other way. In music, I mean, we all knew who were in bands in high school. You guys know who have the drive and the ambition and the certain type of charisma that finds success. Some of that is, I think, gender-based, but they don't have to be the type of boy who is limited in the way um, that he sees the world, to not feeling emotions, to dominating his partners, to being the alpha. Boys who play guitar can also like sparkles. And we saw that in the 70s, but we don't really have a resurgence yet of a celebration of a less domineering masculinity. All right, so anthemic, inspiring, uplifting, motivating, uh, that offers a wide range of the possibilities for any young man. I think I got it. So we'll give you these tunes that we're going to recommend mm-hmm. uh, as potential, and then uh, we'll check back with you in a week and see if, if they worked, if they we registered. We will put it on repeat and see what happens. <laughs> okay, all right. And I also want your daughters to like them as well as your son. 
I think that that's a great goal. Okay. Because you're talking about young young people here, your son, three years old, your daughter is not much older. You know, you got to be able to hear the song, and the next thing you know, you remember it because you just can't get that riff or that, that lyric out of your head. For that reason, I chose uh, MGMT's song, Kids. It was a hit from their 2008 debut album. A couple of guys from uh, Wesleyan University, Connecticut, freshman year, in their dorm making this music. And, you know, a lot of people would hear this song initially, and it's just so damn catchy because that riff, that keyboard riff at the heart of it, 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 once you hear it once, you will never forget it. But here, there's some content attached to it that I think is really powerful and empowering. A lot of people have heard this song, Rebecca, have referenced the connection or potential connection to that Shel Silverstein book, The Giving Tree. And uh, to me, it's a beautiful story, but it's also kind of a, a heartbreaking one as well. This boy never grows up into a man to really get what he's been given. The MGMT song, Kids, is saying... The key line is control yourself, take only what you need from it. It's somewhat elliptical, somewhat oblique, but at the same time, I think it's a very strong message. An ostensibly celebratory song, you know, extolling tenderness and empathy and care for other people, other things, other things in this world. No time to think of consequences. Show yourself. You know, kind of recognizing the fact that the world is a pretty fragile place, and we have to take care of it, and we have to take care of each other, including uh, not only people, but the environment. So it, there's an upbeat quality to the song. It's catchy. It's something you can sing along with. And then if, once you start paying attention to what's going on in the lyrics, you say, you know, here's something that this young man should have embraced. You know, it should have been part of his life. So when you talk about the, the declaration, here's who I am, you know, they're, they're being very declarative here. Control yourself. Take only what you need from it. Those are kind of empowering lines, I think, in a way that aren't traditionally heard in pop songs about masculine males. So, you know, Kids from MGMT is going to be my uh, prescription for you. That's a good one, Greg. I would have gone with Kids in America, but I think that that's uh, not as specific as what Rebecca wants and needs. So uh, I'm going to do uh, Boys Keep Swinging. Heaven loves you. The clouds part for you. Nothing stands in the way when you're a boy. By David Bowie. Not my favorite artist of all time, as Greg quickly pointed out when I chose this song, but it was co-written with Brian Eno. I'm not giving you Bowie's 1979 version from The Lodger, and it was a hit single. I'm giving you a cover by Susanna Hoffs, the leader of the Bangles. In 
1996, on her first uh, solo album, she uh, covered Boys Keep Swinging, and it was a wonderful, you know, exuberant cover of the tune. It's insanely catchy. You know, she captures that little sarcastic, self-mocking sneer that Bowie had as Bowie sang, Heaven loves you, the clouds part for you, nothing stands in your way when you're a boy, but now Hoffs is singing it, right? So she's clearly singing it to boys, and the ultimate resolution of the song is boys keep swinging, boys always work it out. You know, it's like we don't give up, we get knocked down, we pick ourselves up, and we try to work things out. Not because we're indubitable and we can dominate other people, you know, it's just like maybe we're too dumb, <laughs> you know? It's like, <laughs> I am going to get the nut off that tire when I'm trying to change it or it's going to kill me. That, I think, is the message of the song. And, and, and Susanna Hoff singing it, I think, is inspiring. And I hope someday, you know, your son might connect with that. Fantastic. Persistence is a lovely, I think, inborn characteristic of many boys. It's like the force. You can use it for good or evil. Yeah, but it's not always healthy either. You know, when you have right. a little boy banging his head way. against the wall, no matter how many times you tell him, don't do that, you know, he keeps sitting there <laughs> banging his head against the wall. We've been talking to Rebecca from Wheaton, and Rebecca, we are going to uh, check back with you in a week. Hope you enjoy that music that we uh, recommended for you. I look forward to it. All right, let's return to Rebecca, our caller, who asked for a musical prescription. How did it work for you, Rebecca? I have to say, it either worked really well, and one of them worked really poorly. Okay. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, let's start with Dr. Cott, his prescription first, Rebecca. All right, so, Greg, you actually won the competition no. for Best Rock Doctor. In terms of a catchy riff that... My three-and-a-half-year-old literally said, it is in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) This song wins. Yes. So definitely they responded musically to this one very well. Uh, My seven-year-old, who's the most verbal of them, she said, I like the way the sounds go together. Mm -hmm. She said, I can't hear the words, but I can feel the words. It's a (laughs) feeling song. Mm -hmm. She's going to be a good critic. Yeah, yeah. She'll do all right. Yeah. With her, I kind of examined the lyrics also. Mm-hmm. I said, why would we want to control ourselves? Why would we want to take only what we need? The poetry kind of left her behind and the rest of it, but we talked about the chorus. Mm-hmm. And she said, because other people might need it. So mm-hmm. I think like that's a win for yeah. teaching empathy, right? Like yeah. Especially from a place of privilege. Yeah, but the point um, was we were supposed to inspire your son. Exactly. But we also talked about like that, Getting rid of toxic masculinity and replacing it with a new masculinity requires both genders and inspiring both genders to believe that that's a role boys can inhabit. So I think that in terms of that, it worked really well. If if Esther gets the empathy, then Akiva's going to get the empathy. Yeah. So your older daughter, Esther, got it. She's four years older than your son, Akiva. Right. So your son loved the hook, but your thinking is that your daughter, Esther, will now help your son understand the song as he gets a little older, right? If it is anything like every other thing we do in our house, she will be <laughs> instructive in what is the right and wrong way to proceed. She yes. will instruct your son in empathy. Okay, All right. and you liked it too. You didn't hate it either. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I'll put it. I'll burn it to the CD. So. Okay, all right. Now, I had uh, suggested 
Susanna Hoff's cover of David Bowie and Brian Eno's Boys Keep Swinging. You've already tipped your hand. It I did have. not. It did not work. It did not. Uh, kids don't really get tongue in cheek. It turns out hmm. they're pretty literal minded. They are literal, yeah. <laughs> so what did they hear it as like a boxing song? Akiva, the boy, read it as universal, just like people will say, well, policeman means all police officers, men and women, right? Like he mm-hmm. said, he, he literally said, it's because when we are kids, um, and then he said, kids can put on band-aids and be strong. Mm. So like, from my English major perspective, he had a great response to it just in the way we don't want him to. Because um, we were he, specifically looking for a, a, a gender-inspiring but not toxic uh, masculine anthem. Exactly. So he saw it as universal, uh, which men do when men are the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he applied it to his own life. He, he had other things that boys could do. He just phrased it as kids. So he wasn't necessarily aware that he was being kind of exclusive in that. Mm. So the girls didn't like it. Interrupting each other to tell me this, they said, it's because there are no girls in it. Like, <laughs> they called it out. Um, but we have, we have Susanna Hobbs. Yeah, I was going to say, did, uh, the, women, the woman singing the song didn't have an impact on them. The fact that you it was a woman singing like the song. like my son. He interrupted them and said, there is one girl, and he put his little finger up, mm. and he said, the one who sings. I think... It's an important observation that kids notice the gender of the singer, which goes back to MGMT, which I think makes that even more powerful because it is a male singer checking his privilege, right? Mm, If they're mm going to notice the gender of the singer, it's going to be important that it was a man giving that lesson of restraint. Mm -hmm. So I think between the two, the dialectic of them (laughs) is a great... Uh, conversation starter for the early childhood set. I hope you rewarded them with like good snacks or something after the there all this work. Always good snacks. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, it sounded like you had a hell of a discussion with your kids about these two songs. So that's all we can ask as uh, yeah. as as rock docs. You know? I love Parenthood, and this was a great activity for us. We had so much fun. If you've got a musical malady that needs professional help, you can visit soundopinions.org and fill out the Rock Docs prescription form. What's next on the show, Greg? Jim, next week we have an in-depth interview with Wayne Kramer, the founder of the great Detroit proto-punk band, the MC5. Art will always have the power to make a connection between people. 
to, to bridge the gap between people. If I do something in music, if I tell the truth about how I feel about something, chances are there's somebody else out there that felt the same way. That reminds me that I'm not the only nutcase out here, you know. You can find all the episodes of Sound Opinions at soundopinions.org or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get those things. As always, Sound Opinions has been produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. This is Sean from Chicago, Illinois. I just got done listening to your disco episode, and my mind is blown. Being I knew of disco and through Saturday Night's Fever, and I knew of, of being a Southside Sox fan, I knew of disco demolition but really never thought the music more than just a dance fad and nothing more but your episode blew my mind putting in the context of the music of the outsider the music uh that was championing these voices that were not being heard during the 70s to a degree that they were even hated for doing so um made me greatly appreciate this music and see it as an art form and allowed me to trace that uh, to what we have today in our modern dance music. So thank you so much. I've got to say, long live disco. Hi, my name's Johanna. I'm from Berwyn, Illinois. Just wanted to thank you guys for pointing out one of the uh, major aspects of the disco spirit, which was to give a finger to the big recession and all the politicians who were trying to tell us that the party was over when we had not even got a chance to start partying. So with that in mind, uh, I would love it if you could play a song that uh, did get us jumping in 1975, Bad Luck by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. This is Jane in Connecticut. Uh, I loved your disco uh, dissection episode. Uh, it reminded me of a cruise I was on in the Mediterranean in August of 1974, and they had a little dance floor, and they played the Hughes Corporation's Rock the Boat. That was the first time I'd heard that song. Rock the boat, I don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat, I don't take the boat over. Rock the boat, I don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat. I think it was one of the first disco songs. So whenever I hear that song, I think fondly of that cruise. And then I also remember how on the plane home, the pilot announced that Nixon had resigned. So that was quite an eventful uh, cruise. So thanks very much. I love the show. Take care. Bye. This is Ralph calling from Chicago. I'm a longtime listener, and I really enjoy your show and appreciate what you've been doing for so many years. I caught your uh, disco program this past weekend, and I just had a quick comment to make on that. 
and I'm sure this is something you're aware of. Um, one of the reasons that uh, the disco craze was met with some pushback by uh, a lot of people in the late 70s was because it displaced so many working musicians at the time. I remember at the time I, I was in a rock band that was just starting to get the smallest bit of traction, and suddenly the availability of gigs for live music declined dramatically because so many of the clubs were adopting the um, sort of pre-recorded dance music that the disco era brought in. So, again, uh, thanks for your great work. Bye. Oh, this is Kim from Hoffman Estates. I love that you covered ballet in a recent episode. His Womp Womp single has been all over the Chicago hip-hop radio stations, and it's so catchy, so I freaked out. And I also heard it on HBO's Ballers this week. He's on his way up, and thanks for spreading the word on good music. He also has a, I think, hilarious song called Window Seek. Don't want nobody next to me. Because I also prefer Window Seek, so it's on my airplane playlist and you need to get him on for an interview thanks bye no more messages to share your opinions on sound opinions call 888-859-1800 We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.